Hey, I gotta tell you guys about something, and I'm really excited to talk about this because I got a brand new front door lock. And it's not just any lock, it's a Eufy video lock. You might be thinking, what's the big deal, Chael? Well, okay, I'm gonna tell you. First off, it is sleek. I mean, it's a very big deal. My father used to build houses. My whole life, I've known how important curb appeal is. I used to be in real estate. When I show somebody a house, the front door is the very first thing you see. This thing is a piece of art. It truly is, and it's such a good looking piece of hardware. It instantly upgraded my front door. I was excited about the functionality. So not only do I get an instant makeover with a piece of art, you now have a different level of protection. It's a smart lock. It's got a 2K camera with audio and doorbell all in one. Most competitors are either just a camera or a smart lock. The Eufy Video Lock has both plus a doorbell and it can all be controlled via an app, which makes things so convenient. I hate when I hear the doorbell ring and I'm comfortable inside. I gotta get up, go to the door, just to find out it's a delivery man who dropped the package and is already long gone. The Eufy Video Lock now allows me to avoid all of that. I can just peek at the app. I can even talk to him or hear him talk back to me. Also, my wife and I travel a lot. It's an added level of security at my front door and it makes me feel a little bit more at ease. It was very easy to install. No, there are no monthly fees for the security video storage. The battery is rechargeable and each charge lasts about four months. The Eufy Lock is fantastic and I highly recommend it. Search Eufy Video Lock online. Do that by going to Eufy, E-U-F-Y Video Lock or visit eufyofficial.com backslash video lock to see how you gain complete control of your door. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. First question to you, John Morgan. All right, great, let's start with John Jones. John Jones, let her rip. I love Jesus and cocaine. Steve Bay, let's hear from you. Baseball's cool. Yuri, tell us what your thoughts are. Samurai. What's happening, guys? Happy Friday, and thank you for joining. Another special episode of You're Welcome. Guys, I got a whole bunch of announcements. I'm going to get into that in a moment. And I'm also going to tell you why this controversial 10-8 round was the best thing to ever happen to the bullet. I'm also going to talk about the UFC heavyweights because some of them are finally speaking up. Lots to get to, boys and girls. Let's begin here. Sugar Sean O'Malley has his next fight. What is it? Now, I shared this with you guys. This was a private conversation I had with Sean, but it's okay that I can share that part of the conversation. He gave me absolutely no details and told me that. Hey, Uncle Chill, I can't tell you anything. I want to, I, but I can't. I did want you to know I got this phone call. It's very exciting, right? He just he wanted to share his excitement. And it made me feel great that he wanted to share it with me, in all fairness. But that was 10 days ago. And if we were to guess, it appeared between Marab, it appeared between Aljo, and of course your leading suspect, Cheeto Vera. You could even sprinkle a little bit of Henry in there that we knew who it was going to be against. And according to Sean, as he left the ring in Boston, he wanted it to be in December. And the fact that he got a call and got turned around and had knew who an opponent was this quickly 
led me, by my detective skills, to think it was going to be in December. I don't believe 2024 bookings are taking place right now. Okay. Comes out last night. Dana White makes a big announcement. And we knew that Sean was interested in the date because he told us. We knew that Colby and Leon were either going to fight in November or December, according first to the schmo, but moreover by Leon's manager, who said that last week. We know that Conor McGregor went after that date. And we know that Volkanovski, who has said, I no longer am interested in Islam, I'm going to stay at 45 and I'm going to take on Ilya Tupor because I don't want to wait till 2024, also wanted that date. Now, I gave you the quote by Volkanovsky because he actually never said the word December. But that was the only pay-per-view that was left unannounced. So we had some very stiff competition going, and Colby won. Colby and Leon have won that date. It's a big deal, though. It's a very big deal because who's going to be the co-main event, right? We got such great fights out there. And we have such meaningful opportunity. And there is a policy within the UFC, if you have two title fights on the same card, whoever is heavier will go last. That is a policy that is in place. And I share that with you because it would not disqualify Sean O'Malley and Cheeto Vera from being on that card in a co-spot. They are lighter. So while Dana announced the main event, there could be another title fight still coming. There could be. It's hard for me to think with the power of Sean O'Malley right now, that he's going to come down on a card from main event to co-main, but he could. We might be just be getting treated to something real special here as fans. And that same math works for Volkanovski. That same math would allow Volkanovski to also be an opener underneath Leon and Colby, but it doesn't feel like that. It doesn't feel like Volk's got a fight coming up. It doesn't feel like Ilya Tapur is, is full steam ahead with that match. And I do know that that will be the match. And there's not a lot of reason for Ilya Tapur to really be going after Volkanovsky. That's the fight. We all understand whenever it comes, no matter what marketing you do or what jabs you take on social media, that's the fight. They're in a unique spot, right? Great job for Ilya. But it doesn't feel like they're going to fight later this year. So, I mean, what do you guys think? All of those matches got pushed? Volk. The GOAT of 145, who we're told within this calendar year in Perth had a top five pay-per-view of all time. It could be number one. We don't know where in the top five. It was just in the top five, right? Like, this doesn't seem like a guy that you're going to turn down. But it sounds like he got turned down. Conor McGregor, Michael Chandler. With the single greatest marketing arm that our industry, not just this company, the industry has ever seen the Ultimate Fighter. There has been no greater driver than that, and that one's also going to get kicked to 2024. And I don't have a problem with any of this, by the way. I'm sharing with you that there was a, a real massive competition going on for that date. Some really big hammers wanted to headline that show, and Colby and Leon won. It's a compliment to them. It's a compliment to their managers. It's a compliment to their relationships and their navigation skills. But it's not over yet. So, 
If Colby and Leon are going to fight in December, there is one question that's never been asked, and it's just to Leon, what took so long? I would like to hear the answer to that. I've never heard that Leon was hurt and or sick. I bring that to you because if he wasn't hurt and or sick, what took so long? Where it did leave off was Leon saying, I'm not going to fight Colby. Now, we're well aware that that was in March and by May that started to loosen up a little bit. But is that what the delay was? Is that all it was? If you weren't hurt, you weren't sick, and you would accept who the opponent was. Why, are, why did we wait? Did you say you wanted to fight and they were so uninterested in fighting? Like, those things would be very valuable to me. I would like to know. I would like to know why you didn't push harder. If you called and got an answer you didn't like, did you sit and quit? Or did you go find some more steam and come back and fight for it? I'm just curious. How bad a guy wants to defend or how bad a guy wants to fight somebody, how hard he's working to get a match, it speaks a lot as opposed to a guy that's agreeable and says yes once somebody else calls him and gives him a date. I'm, I'm just curious. I'm also trying to guess on Connor and Chandler are we even still doing this? Is this even still a thing? Because it's barely a thing right now. I mean, it, it is absolutely barely, this thing is on fumes. And it's only been seven weeks. If we know for sure right now, at a minimum, it is kicked until next year. Right? I mean, this thing went from a red hot burning fire. It is, it, it's smoldering at best. If I was just to predict for you that, no, it won't be a thing, and you could try to rebuild it, sure, I mean, why not? What, what difference does it make? Whoever you put opposite Connor, like, what difference does it make? But at some point, you're going to want to get on with it, right? If you're a prize fighter, you're going to want to fight, and you're going to want that prize. And I, I, I'm just over here guessing. We've got some answers, and we've got a whole bunch of clues. But as far as confirmations, the only thing that we can really confirm is we got some really good fights to look forward to at some point. So I don't have a crystal ball, and I know that some of you think I do. Like, I read the comments, Jail, you're a genius. And it makes me feel good, in all fairness. I've even had some of you say that I'm steps ahead. And in all fairness, I mean, like, those are really nice compliments. It does mean a lot to me. I don't, I don't mean to show you how the sausage is made, and I don't mean to ruin it, but I don't have a crystal ball. I just have guesses. So, it's been announced that Alex Pierre and Yuri Prohaska are going to fight each other. Now, that's probably the world's worst-kept secret, right? I mean, it's, it's right up there amongst them. And this is tremendous news, by the way. To bring back Yuri Prohaska in November, don't forget, they stripped him last December with one statement which he, has, he had sustained the worst shoulder injury that they had ever seen. So a misdiagnosis is great news. A miracle is great news. Like, whatever happened here, that he's not only back, but he's back in competition in less than a year. That's really great news. But there's something in the world of promotion called energy. You go to a press conference, you got to have energy. If I sit down with you guys here today, I've got to have energy. That is a word that will be used. 
If I was to look into my crystal ball, we got a press conference. We're at Madison Square Garden. We got John Jones, we got Stipe, we got Prohaska. We got Piera. First question to you, John Morgan. And then you're up, Schmo. All right, great, let's start with John Jones. John Jones, let her rip. I love Jesus and cocaine. Stipe, let's hear from you. Baseball's cool. Yuri, tell us what your thoughts are. Samurai. Alex Piera, give us a reason to watch this fight. I'm sorry, could you repeat that in Portuguese? John Jones, back up to you. If I went to a bar, I'd pick up on myself. Stipe, how you feeling? Thought I was going to fight Francis, but I do hit hard. You're a Prohaska, second chance here. Any reason we should give a damn? I train in the cold. Alex Piera, before we wrap this thing, we'll give you one last crack at it. You've been at Madison Square Garden before. They're returning you to the garden, and they took your main event away. Does that bother you? Okay, we gave it a shot. Does anybody else have any questions here? I mean, what do you want? What do you want to do with this? My mother used to go and play bingo, and it was on Thursdays, and it was once a month, and you get a prize. The group of girls, they'd get together, and they'd have food and a potluck, and somebody would host, but then there's prizes within bingo, and it goes to the winner of the game, and you also get a prize. If you're last, if you do the worst, it's called a booby prize. And she would wake me. I always tell her, right? I'd always say, you got, you got to wake me up when you get home. So she'd always come to my room, wake me up. And I would always say to her, did you get a prize? And I could never figure out how it could ever be no. Right now, I'm a little kid. Like a gift and a present, you open a box. I mean, it's the, most, it's the greatest thing in the world. I, I now know as an adult, it, you know, it's not the same. But as a kid, I couldn't figure out. Why didn't you just throw the game? If you weren't going to win it, why didn't you just tank it so you got last place and then you get a prize? Like, that feels like a win. feels like the smartest person in the room, aside from the one that wins it, is the one that comes in last. And I keep making videos on Yuri Prohaska. <laughs> the one does worse than the next. I can't do anything about it. And I tried to bring an interest, an interest in Prohaska in the shoulder. It was either misdiagnosed or there's a miracle. Or there was an issue with USADA. And that all got worked through. And one of the rules is you say absolutely nothing. Now, I wasn't doing that at all to damage him. If there was an issue with USADA, he is very clearly passed. You could do an USADA test, or you could just ask me by my eyes. I will tell you right now, your Prohaska is clean. They've got it wrong. Whatever they think they saw, whatever rumor, you, they've got it wrong. I can look at his nipples, his upper abs, and his nails. I mean, I can tell you right now, you got it, he's clean. So I'm not trying to give him a hard time or embarrass him. I'm trying to create a story. You have a return to a division. You know how big return fights are? You know how big it is when you have a champion that returns, but uh, particularly with adversity? Now he's going to take on a former champion who has risen up, who fought at this very arena into a sold-out crowd. I mean, there's some really massive things going into this, and they are not a main event. 
And they might not have a problem with that. I don't know that I overly care that they do. I just want them to make the argument. They should be arguing that this is a bigger fight. Yuri Prohaska should be at that press conference. If he's got nothing to say to Piera, he should be saying it to the world about John Jones, the guy who literally left the division as soon as his name came up. As soon as I walked in there with a side ponytail and started putting people down, you left the division. And I gotta, I gotta jerk the curtain for a guy that's scared of me. I came after you. You would. I don't, I don't really care if he feels that way. I would just like there to be something interesting here. I, I, I really don't care what direction they go in. But to make believe that here, let, let me give you a spoiler. Speaking about a crystal ball, that press conference I just described with these four on stage, that's not gonna happen. Something called a media scrum will happen. And by the way, I don't know who the prankster is that got that world over on media, but do you know what a scrum is? I mean, not for not. Have you ever looked up scrum? Okay. It doesn't mean what the people in media think that it means. But the way a scrum works is a guy sits there. One guy sits there and the media comes to him and then you go to somebody else. That guy now sits, he's got a step and repeat behind him, also known as a backdrop. Can't put those four guys on stage for what? The most interesting call-up that Alex Pierre has ever had, and by the way, he's a really interesting guy. I mean, he just put a video online of his son doing a prank, and he, did you guys see that? The, he has not done anything that I don't know about, because I find him to be so interesting. Alex Pierre has got it, man. That guy, that guy is a star, but he, he doesn't know when to bring it. Like, it's cool that he brings it to social media, but why don't you bring it to the Octagon? It's one of those things. Just a thought and a suggestion. Yeah, you're a pro hospital with one of the great story, one of the great comeback stories. Whether that was a misdiagnosis or a miracle, tell the story. What happened to your shoulder to damage it in the first place? Who was it that told you you're never going to fight again? Why did you not listen to them? When they took your belt away, why did you not push back and say, no, I'm going to be okay. There's a misunderstanding. I have a plan. That was one doctor's opinion. I have my own doctors, and I believe in them, and we're going to rehab this thing. Whatever the stories, I would just like to hear it. I would find that to be very interesting. They're not even in the spot of fighting for a world championship. Had Jamal Hill not done a very generous thing, which is to return the title, that's an interesting story. Would somebody mind telling it? And so here we are, and I'm attempting to guess. I'm attempting to guess what? What are you going to do? And why is the answer nothing? And I'm here to remind you, if you don't have a problem with your opponent directly, there's other problems that you must have. You must. Somebody took your belt away. Somebody else told you you can't do this sport. Somebody else told you you're not going to do it ever again. You got a guy out there saying that you had an USADA issue and that you have privately and quietly been through arbitration. Which means you were falsely accused. That's a great story. I'd love to hear it. Or if none of that happened, which I think it did, if none of that happened, why don't you tell the guy that's spreading that around to shove it up his ass? He seems like a perfectly reasonable guy. If he heard from you, your manager, your coach, your girlfriend, and old class, if he heard from absolutely anybody that that's not what happened, I have a feeling he'd stop saying it. And if you have a problem with him saying it, don't. Because when I put your name in the title, no one's going to watch this video anyway.
Anya's next fight is just going to be for fun. Now, these are his words. I normally wouldn't really care what a fighter has to say about his, about his next fight. I'm not here, it's gotta make sense, it's gotta be this guy, it's gotta drive me forward, I'll hear all these ideas, it's gotta be the money fight, I'll hear all of these ideas, but they should finish it with, I would like, I hope, I'm pushing for, I only say that because the fighter doesn't pick his next fight, it, it's the slightest idea who he says his next fight's gonna be, it, it, it couldn't possibly be any less significant, like when they sit down in the war room, that will never come up. They will never say, well, this guy did an interview and he says he's next fight's got to be moving forward. Like that, it's just not a piece of it. Unless Israel Adesanya says it. There's nobody you can count on more to tell you what's next than Adesanya. No, he says his next fight's going to just be for fun. This might be the first time that Izzy's not right. I mean, I'll just share for you, like Izzy can't just go out there. The way that his contracts works and the numbers that it demand, he has to fight on pay-per-view. If he doesn't have a pay-per-view mechanism, it doesn't work. I believe he has to be a main event of pay-per-view. But at some point, you're not. And one of the biggest problems why you have to put those big stars with the big paydays in the main event of pay-per-views is because they demand it and they're not willing to come down to the contract. If, uh, if Izzy says it's just for fun, it sounds as though he understands. I'm no longer champion. I get it. Something else is going to have to happen as I work my way back up. But when he says just for fun, he's a colossally difficult person to match up. When you're doing rematches, or if you're fighting a guy for the third time, you guys will have a very hard time showing me examples of that that were not title fights. You could do it. I know that you could do it. Broad stroke here. You'd have a hard time. When you're the champion and you have guys that make it back to number one, or at 185 pounds, where you got four or five guys, and, and the rest of them are having a really hard time breaking through. So you got the same four or five guys, and you got the same four or five, you got the same four or five, but you have the same champion. You get rematches. You get the lapping of a division. You could even have number three. It's very tough. Well, with Adesanya falling from champion to number one, he's still in that same group of five. Nobody new has emerged. Right? So where are you going to put him? That's fun. Number eight, number nine? Possibly. Be very helpful if he was a guy willing to give somebody else the opportunity. It's quite literally what Sean Strickland did for Alex Piera. Worked out for both of those guys. Both of those guys' next fight will be for world titles. You do not have Charles Oliveira as your champion or even a main event spot if it wasn't for Tony Ferguson. So maybe Adesanya's going to do that. But... That would be a stretch if you were to just bring Adesanya down and then you were to match him up collectively the way you historically do it. It's the same group of guys that he's already fought and he's even refought. It's tough. So when he says for fun, is he willing to leave the weight class? And we're just doing a fight is for fun. It's not about contendership. It's not about proving anything. It's not about a title. And he would have used those words. If it's just about for fun, can we change the weight class? I know that that's hard to do. And they don't love to do catch weight matches. I do understand that. But there is a time and a place. And for me, that's an outdated policy as is. I like the champ-champ opportunity. I think historically you could have had a lot more guys that could have been champ-champ. They were not given an opportunity. That part of the story always gets left out. Here's the only champ-champs we've had. Well, you don't understand that guys for two decades before that were never given an opportunity. You couldn't leave your division. I like the idea, and I don't mind a catch weight. If it's good enough for McGregor, 
I mean, in all fairness, McGregor comes back, 255-pounders go and fight at 170 because the holidays were there and they didn't want to lose weight, but it was going to affect the rankings at 155. All of that's a little bit convoluted, but none of that draws or sells anyway. Like, that is no function of the marketing. That's just trapped within your mind. So I'm sharing with you, I, I would like that idea. Who's he, who's he got in mind? Who would be fun? And we're going to get an answer from him. He will be the one that finally tells us what fun is. But I don't think the Duplessis fight was meant to be fun. I mean, that seemed like some pretty serious business to me. Not only was it a world title, but there, there was a real hot grudge going on there. So if it's just for fun, I think we're removing Duplessis. If it was the loser of Paulo Costa versus Chimaev, just by example, that'd be a pretty hard night out. Nothing nothing about that sounds like fun to me. So is Izzy suggesting that he's going to come down on the card? Is he suggesting he'll be a co-main event or lower? Is he suggesting it will be three rounds? Is he suggesting the training camp? Right? You put Izzy into a three-round fight, everything about that, by his own standard, is going to be fun. Everything about that. Not having to do those extra rounds, not having to do those extra miles. I mean, everything from, from the understanding that he has would change. I'm just trying to break down what fun means, right? Like, this is not a guy that speaks to us in riddles. Izzy has remained a man of the people while becoming rich and famous. But one of the reasons he's a man of the people, and there's several, but one of them is he speaks to the people and he speaks in a language that they understand. When Izzy says my next fight will be for fun, that wasn't to let you guys go guess. He doesn't know yet. He's not there. Which is why I'm saying, hey, let's come in with a few suggestions. Let's help him out. Let's push him in a certain direction. We would expect the fellow middleweights to do that. We would expect that they would learn from their king who's been out of Sonya until three weeks ago. We would expect that they would see what he does, which is to call for fights and that he is now available, that you would go and call for him. But they're not gonna. So we're gonna have to move first. And the opportunity is now, or Izzy will decide. Or Dan or Hunter will give him a call and help him to decide. But right now, the floor is yours. Right now, it's wide open. And I love it when a top guy gives somebody else a chance. I don't agree with Bo Nichols' ranking. Ranking, just by example. I simply don't agree with it. I don't even know what he's ranked. I just know he is not in the top five. Would that be fun? Be fun to give somebody an opportunity? I mean, I'm just, I'm asking questions. I'm not here to answer them. Like, where exactly are we going to go? And if it is a top five guy, then that would be a contender's fight. And that would not just be for fun. That would be for contendership. And the fact that he didn't call for Sean Strickland does make it very clear it's not going to be with Sean Strickland. There is something within Israel Adesanya, and there was something about that preparation for Sean, the build-up for Sean, that wasn't Sean, right? It was, it was Duplessis. He had his mind on something else. And then, and that's what Izzy likes to do. He likes to be laser-focused. It's why he calls somebody out that night. When he gets up the next morning, he's now got to focus. He knows when he's driving his car who he's picturing. He knows after he says his prayers at night when he's laying in bed, he knows who he's picturing. He had four guys in six weeks. Four guys. He didn't know if it was going to be Bobby Knuckles or Duplessis. Okay, great. He finds out it's going to be Duplessis. Then he finds out it's not. Then it's going to be Sean. Then Sean gets pulled, bring in Jared. Sean comes back on, but Jared's there anyway. 
I mean, not only did he have four guys, the day before the fight, it was down to two. The day of the fight, there was two in the building ready to fight him. They just put one of them in the front row, right? I mean, I'm just sharing for you. Like, it, it's a very different circumstance. And there was something about the buildup that he really wasn't genuinely that irritated with Sean. And he is not really genuinely that irritated with Sean now. Izzy will manufacture conflict if he needs to. That's what drives him. He puts himself in that position. Aljo Sterling's a great one. Aljo will always put himself in a position of the underdog, no matter what, whether he is or not. And I'm just offering you another example, names that you would know, because this is a very normal thing that the greats do. And as much as Izzy was trying to get angry with Sean, it's very hard to put all your focus on him when he's not the guy to please he is. And it's very hard when Sean gets pulled and Jared comes in, right? It's one of these things. And now even after the fact, he just doesn't have the same sour grapes. It's not like Alex Pierre, by example. This is not the guy that keeps him up at night. This is not the boogie monster in his closet. And it's a big deal. It's a big deal that Izzy lets us know the next one will be for fun. Now, we still get some time to figure out what fun means, but we know what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean a title fight, and it doesn't mean Sean Strickland, which really opens up 185 pounds as far as opportunity goes. Have you ever been caught in a rainstorm? Wearing the wrong pair of shoes. Guys, out here in the Pacific Northwest, it happens to us often. I love to take my kids out. I love to take the dogs along with us. We go on nice long walks through the neighborhood. But I hate throwing on clunky rain boots. And you know what I hate even more? Wet socks. What if I told you I came across a shoe that is lightweight, breathable, and waterproof? Not to mention, it's pretty good looking. Vessi has mastered the creation of waterproof, functionality, and style. These shoes outsmart the weather and keep me ready for anything, rain or shine. I appreciate that I don't have to change my shoes just because the weather can't make up its mind. My Vessi shoes keep up with my day-to-day -day outings, style, and the weather. Most of the country is about to head into the rainy season. So why don't you head over to Vessi.com slash Use the promo code CHAIL. That's going to get you 15% off your order. You're welcome for that, by the way, guys. That's Vessi.com slash CHAIL. V-E-S-S-I dot com slash CHAIL. Use the code CHAIL. Save the 15%. Don't wait until your socks are wet. Be prepared and grab a pair. Have you guys ever wondered how your personal data shows up on the internet? I'm going to tell you, you gave some company at some time permission to use your information however they wanted. Perhaps when you clicked on that little box at the end of the online form, you also waved goodbye to your privacy, your address, phone number, where you work. The info found online is endless. This can lead to identity theft. It also makes it really easy to access your private accounts. I've always said, I will fight anyone at any time, but there's one battle I prefer not to fight. The battle against data brokers. It's such a pain to try and get your information deleted from these sites. This is why I want to recommend Delete Me. Delete Me service was so easy and honestly, 
felt like a high-end luxurious service. All you have to do is complete a short form online with your past and most recent info and boom, they take care of the rest for you. It takes less than a few minutes to start wiping your personal info off the internet. It's not just one and done either. Delete Me will do a new search every quarter to make sure your information has not reappeared. It's like your own personal data concierge. Don't fight this battle on your own. Let Delete Me go to battle for you right now. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go join deleteme.com slash jail and you use the promo code jail. The only way to get 20% off is to join deleteme.com slash jail and enter the promo code jail at checkout. That's www. Join deleteme.com slash jail. Make sure you use the promo code jail for 20% off. Keep your personal data to yourself. Grosso, Shevchenko, 10-8 round. Was this the best thing that happened to Valentina? It's for sure the most interesting Valentina Shevchenko has not had a fight where people talked about it before the fight. She hasn't had a fight that people talked about it the day of the fight. She hasn't had a fight where people talk about it during the fight or after the fight. And, and of all of those things, and as important as nice as they are, by far the hardest to do is after. When a fight card is done, Sunday's a travel day, Monday is a recap day, and Tuesday they're moving on to what's next. And there's very, very few times that that formula ever gets disrupted. I cannot imagine, had we had anything but a 10-8 round, that we're still in that situation. Like, just by example, the reason I bring up the 10-8 round, if Valentina would have won the belt, she would be moving on with whatever's next. Would have that been an immediate rematch with Grasso? Hard, it would be really hard to imagine that. Seemed like they really settled their business, but would it be? And, and if it wasn't, who would have been next? And, and whoever that was next, what were you going to do to make that interesting? You've had five years with her, and it's, it hasn't happened. Like, what would have you done? And I, I bring this, is this whole thing about a 10-8 round. Is that the entire reason that we are here? I'm okay with it is if it is. Like, whatever is the most interesting is what's going to grab and go, even if it's unfair. And that would be unfair, because that was one of the great fights, period. Not just of the night, not just of the division. That was one of the great fights. That fight represented hard work and grit and discipline and desire from both athletes like few fights we've ever seen. Going into the fourth round, when Grasso came out of her corner, that is when we, the trained audience, are going to find out is now a good time to go to the refrigerator. Is now a good time to get a couple of errands done and come back for the announcement. Because at the beginning of the fourth round, when you are clearly down by three, the math is now against you. Now, an announcer will generally cover you just as a way of getting the audience to not turn the channel. And the announcer will say things like, moral victory. A moral victory comes when you have flipped the switch from trying to beat your opponent to surviving the clock. That is the only time you'll hear anybody talk about that. 
And at the beginning of the fourth round, when Grosso was down by three, the math is now against her. She now does not have three ways to win. She does not have KO, submission, judge's decision. The judge's decision is gone. She must stretch her. She must sleep her. Now. And to watch the way Grosso came across the cage, understood that, and started throwing heat. I mean, Grosso's math going into the fourth round was the exact math and attitude that Alex Piera had going into the fifth round the night he won the title against Adesanya. He knew he was down. He knew he was behind. He knew he didn't have a submission. He knew I must knock him out on his feet right now. He walked across the ring and he did just that. It wasn't an accident. There was an urgency. There's something that goes within Piera when the barn's in sight. There's something that Piera feels as an athlete when the house is on fire. Many athletes are like that. They're like a wounded animal that gets, there's a story being told as the competition goes on and they get painted into a corner and that's when they come out. And I didn't know Grosso had that in her. I do now and I realize Valentina was too good, particularly on her feet, that Grosso didn't knock her out. I get all of those things, but the effort, the attitude, and the desire and the understanding of the circumstance was the same. It'd be sad if that's not what we're talking about. Shevchenko having opportunities to stay down, having that window open, right, to walk through. That's what the entire competition is about. The announcers in the world and the, and the people who have never done it will be convinced it's about a jab and a setup. We went to the body and we came up. They'll do all of these different things. All you're witnessing is a spirit-breaking contest. That's it. I am going to come in here and I'm going to try to break your spirit. Mentally and emotionally, I'm going to convince you, you don't want this enough and you're not prepared enough. And once I can get you, and it only takes a second, for one, se for one second, if I can make you understand and or doubt whether you're ready or your desire compared to mine, you will then find the way out. And that's all that you're witnessing. That's what you're truly watching. But neither girl did it. It brings you back to Ultimate Fighter 1, Bonner versus Griffin. That fight was not a great fight because they both put their chins down and threw like bums. That's not what made that great. They both tried to win the entire time. For every second that was on the clock, neither of them walked through that door and allowed their spirit to be broken. And that's what that fight should really be about. But if that's not the interesting thing, if the storyline between them is not the interesting thing, and it's the 10-8 round that's interesting, okay, great, that's what we're going to have to run with, but, but explain that to me. Explain that to me. So you didn't get the decision that you wanted, so that's why we're going to rematch them? You didn't get the decision that you believe should happen, but you're not a licensed judge, and you have the opportunity to be. You never even put in for it. You never even called the athletic department. You did nothing to be a judge, so you didn't get what you want. So we're going to do it again? Is that how we're going to do all rematches? If you don't get what you thought should have happened? It's a very tough sell. It's a very weird sell. I mean, this match felt like an attempt to correct what had happened in the first fight. There's a well-named, recognizable-named fighter named Valentina Shevchenko. There's an opponent that's none of those things. And now the opponent is champion and Shevchenko is not. Let's rematch them. Whether that's why they did or not, that's what it felt like. Let's rematch them to try to get the belt back where we never wanted to leave in the first place. And now if we do that a third time with the explanation of a 
it's it's an admittance. I just I think it's I think it's tough. Is that what this is about? Is that what we're here for? It certainly seemed as though there was an injustice done. I most certainly do believe Shevchenko should be the champion. Nobody yet has convinced me that she didn't win all five rounds. I must tell you in full disclosure, I don't remember the fourth perfectly. I know going into the fourth, it was extremely clear she was up three to nothing. Very clear. But that was less clear by other people. When Grosso knocked her down, we have a number of boxing fans that think that that should have been a 10-9 favoring Grosso. And it, so it's, it's one of these interesting spots where I can come over here and shout as much as I want. I, I, I'm not arguing for you that I'm right. I'm telling you I do believe with conviction in what I saw. I think Shevchenko won the fifth round. Not only do I not think it was 10-8 against her, I don't think she lost it at all. I thought it was 10-9 for her. Does that mean you go do a rematch? There's been an opportunity for 10 rounds. And there is a constant. Which is, both times, Grosso walked out with the belt. So do you go back and you schedule... So now you've got 15 rounds. And it's just one of those really interesting things, right? At, at what point do you stop? Valentina wins, and it's with controversy. And Grosso gave her an opportunity. I mean, then do you go back? It's, it's one of these things. Like, is it, every time there's a card, every time there's a title, every time there's a surprise within the decision, I don't think that we need to go do a rematch. I will openly share with you, as much as I've said this, perhaps I'm a hypocrite to my own point because I don't know of a better idea at 125 pounds. If they are going to rematch, let's not make it about the fact that you didn't get the outcome you wanted in the last one. I'm confused. I watched an interview and I left confused. A couple of things on Surreal's interview, by the way, over there on the MMA hour, which never goes for an hour. It's kind of a, and barely covers MMA. So, uh, seemed like a really nice guy. I mean, I got to tell you that like Surreal does have a presence that just seems cool. Like he's a good looking guy, but he seems kind of charismatic. He generally has something to say, even if it's not well thought out and interesting. I mean, but he generally has something. He can hold up his end of a conversation. And that's a lot at heavyweight right now. All right. I mean, when somebody says, is this person good at it? And, and it could it could be absolutely anything. Hey, were they good at it? You're asking one thing, but you actually want to know something else. So as the person that's answering that question, the critic of said interview, it's a little bit different. First off, is he good at it? No. But that's not what you're asking. You're asking, how did he do with everybody else? Right? If you ask, is a guy a good singer? Because he had choir practice today, and it was his first one, and, he, and he's with the school, and he, you know, he had to go pick him up an hour later. You're not asking if is he great? Can he go to Hollywood? Does he belong on the stage on Broadway? That's not what you're asking. You're asking for that fellow group who also was turning out because they got a letter and went and tried something. 
how to go home. So I bring that to you because you can't get an interview with another heavyweight. You didn't see another interview with another heavyweight. I mean, not for nothing, Surreal Gone has nothing coming up. He just got done. The time to do interviews was two weeks ago, in most people's opinion. I don't agree. I think when you're out looking for a job, that's the time that you press the hardest. That's what I think. And Surreal doesn't have a job, but he has a case that he's attempting to make. And so uh, did he do well at it? Well, we got two heavyweights that are supposedly going to fight for a title. You can't get an interview with either one of them. We got a blob with a beautiful record that we stick up for who allegedly is the backup for said title between the two mutes, and we can't hear from him. So it's really not a matter of is he good at it. How is he doing compared to these guys? Well, he's winning. He's winning. That's the answer. And the campaign and the message that Surreal's on, it's just tough. It's tough because it's confusing. It's not the way that it works. But he believes it. And he's sincere. And he's nice when he presents it. And he doesn't seem to be backing off of it. So Surreal's entire case is just quite simply, I don't want to go down. I want to go forward. And everybody in life wants that same thing. Like, this isn't unreasonable by Surreal. The issue you run into is attempting to get a guy that doesn't know the business. You're, try you're trying to explain it to him. And it's very hard. And Ariel's not the one to do that. That's not an interest that Ariel has. Right? Ariel's just going to ask questions, and whatever you say, then he's going to ask the next question. So let me give you an example. The fight for Surreal Gone and the highest promoted heavyweight fight of 2023 is Aspinall versus Surreal. And... I'm not telling you that that's the fight that's going to move the needle. I'm not telling you you're dying to see that fight. I'm not even telling you if they fight on a pay-per-view card that that's going to be a feature match, meaning a, a main or a co-main event. I'm not telling you any of those things. I'm telling you the best promoted heavyweight fight. Right? You have two different live events. The one where Tom Aspinall was the last one in the cage. You're in an entirely different country in another main event where the last one you see is Surreal Gone in the cage, and yet all the buildup in between, done organically. Not a single dollar by the promotion spin on it. And it was, it was very meaningful, and Surreal shut it down. And he shut it down for the basis that Tom is ranked four and Surreal is ranked one. Now, there's a very big issue with what Surreal is saying, because what, what Surreal is saying is that he should fight John Jones, or if John is to lose, he should fight that guy. That is what he's saying, except he refuses to say their names. He would like to go forward, and all right, would you fight Stipe? Because Stipe is under you in the rankings, just by example. If that's what we're going off of, but he's the number one contender. 
So it, it just starts to get a little bit of, man, I'm confused. You're ranked number one, but Pavlich is one heartbeat away from the octagon, and you're in France talking to Ariel on a poor internet connection. And I'm not being a dick about it. I'm saying this is where it gets confusing. If you want to fight John Jones, say his name. But he didn't. He said, I want to go forward. And when you're already number one, it's an issue. Look, guys, surreal gone. Okay, let's let us let us do a graphic here. Because this makes sense to some of you. Some of you go, well, you know, he is number one. And Tom is number four. That is going back. Okay, great. So surreal was the champion. Okay, he lost. He is no longer the champion. So he was up here, right? Think of a graph chart. He was up here. He's not the champion. So his graph is now going this way. And he could level that out and he could build it again. I'm not, but where we are right now, he was the champion. He's now come to number one. Great spot. Tom was number 11. He is now number four. So you got one guy's graph that is going this way quickly. And you have another guy's graph that it's pointing down. Like, I mean, do, do you see the difference? It's meaningful. Number one and number four, I don't know that there's a, a difference within matchmakers. I know with sponsors, there's not a difference. They will break it down into the top 10, and the really smart ones understand that there's two categories there, that there's a top five. So top five can get a title fight, and the rest of them are unlikely just by example, but they're, they're, they're interchangeable. And I don't know that Surreal fighting Tom does anything more for Surreal or Tom than get him a payday and get him some exposure and get him a competition within the sport that they claim to love. I don't. I mean, if Surreal's whole thing is, man, I got to get closer. Even if I can't give you a title fight, I can get you closer. Right? Well, if you're ranked number one, I could get you closer. I, but I just don't think that's the number one contenders match. I think that that was the miss from the beginning. I thought that was the miss from the day that Spivik, Surreal, and Tom all got into this round robin. So where's Pavlich? Pavlich is your number one contender. He doesn't have to fight any of you guys, and he's the number one contender. was my opinion. I came out, I shared that with you guys. Turned out I was right. Turned out they're still over here trying to sort that, and Sergi's been... Moved into the batter's box. So I'm just a little, I'm a little confused on Surreal's messaging. Though I'm not gonna, I'm not willing to say he's wrong. This is a main eventer. This is a guy that's sold out. This is a guy that's doing what two guys coming up at the Mecca aren't out doing. This is a guy willing to do without a bout agreement what Sergi Pavlich isn't willing to do with anything. So I'm not giving Surreal a hard time. I'm sharing if you're at number one and you're only willing to go forward, then say the guy's name. Because there's going to be a massive story to tell. You are going to have to tell and convince everybody that felt shortchanged the night of Surreal and Jones, where you paid to see a fight and one didn't break out. And a lot of us have been there. Like, you'd, you'd be really surprised. There is a story to tell, and it will be accepted. Right? It's a, it's a quasi-apology, but it will be accepted. It just needs to be told. I froze. I locked up. I had this. Whatever it is. We need to know why you believe something will be different next time. And if you're willing to go in and fight all of these really tough guys and do it in main event in five-round spots, we're going to think you're sincere.
Like, it does appear too surreal, to be important, to get back into that opportunity. I want to hear why. If there was an embarrassment, I want to hear about that. That would bring me closer to surreal. But just hearing that somebody somewhere that doesn't have a name at 9 a.m. on Tuesday morning Pacific Standard Time put you at number one and then put a few guys under you, I, I don't get it. I've never got it. And you're not going to be able to get anybody else to understand it. You were champion. You're headed this way. Tom was not ranked. He's good. I mean, that's just a reality. Tom, Tom, with history of the sport, will get to a title shot prior to Surreal. He's not going to have to fight more times. He's not going to have to fight higher-ranked guys. It's just the way that the sport goes. And Surreal experienced that, too. Surreal was extremely fast-tracked into an interim world title fight. So if anybody understands what it is that I'm saying, it's surreal. Junior Dos Santos believes that Sergi Pavlich will dominate the division. He will dominate the heavyweight division. In fact, He'll be the most dominant person in the heavyweight division if John Jones, in fact, does retire after his fight with Stipe. And the heavyweight division is a very interesting one right now. I mean, there's a massive pride and a massive honor. I certainly don't want to take that away. I've just never seen this division in this kind of shape. There is not, just for understanding, there is not a Division I All-American on the roster in the heavyweight division. That's never happened before. And I'm putting that Division One All-American, I'm putting that accomplishment out there, but I, I'd be welcome to anything equal. You got a national team member from a different country. You got a world team representative. You got a former Olympian, and I'll listen to anything. I, I just haven't seen it. I don't just say that as a wrestling mark. I, I say this historically as a fan of the division. We've never been in a situation where... We are so underrepresented in the sport of wrestling. All right, great. So, Sergey Pavlich will be the most dominant fighter in the heavyweight division if John Jones retires. Well, John Jones not retired today, and Sergey's the most dominant. He's much more dominant. Sergey has finished six of his last six opponents in the first round. I'm not sure John Jones has punched a heavyweight. And I don't mean that to be funny at all. I know Surreal did not punch John, but I don't remember John punching Surreal. Perhaps I'd have to go back and watch that. Perhaps he did actually touch that. I don't think so. I think it's accurate to say John's never punched a heavyweight. Sergi's finished six of them inside of five minutes in a row. So it's a, it's a real interesting. Why, why does John have to retire for Sergi to be the most dominant, right? And then moreover, I don't know how much I want to push Sergi. I've certainly done my, my job to make sure his name stays out there. I've certainly done my part to contribute, but I'm getting a little exhausted of it if he doesn't. I'm not going to do this without him. Sergi's either going to get off his fat ass and he's going to kick in here, or we're going to move on. There was only one person to come to you guys when Tom Espinall who had a great call-out and laid the round robin together. Aspinall's in the ring after a victory in his return fight in his home country, and he puts the round robin together. 
of specifically what's going to happen to then get to a title fight. It didn't involve Pavlich. I like Tom, and I know Tom. I like Tom's math. But the right thing to do was still to remind people that round robin doesn't work because it doesn't include Pavlich, and he's the right guy. But I haven't heard anything from Pavlich. And I do mean nothing. Zero. So I, br I bring you this because to, to Junior's point, if you're talking about who you believe is going to win the heavyweight title, particularly when you start removing play like John Jones, like, fair enough. There's no part of me that thinks that Sergi can go out there and beat John to start with, that that's a foregone conclusion. And there's even a bigger non-part of me that's going to let you know you're wrong when you think that John isn't willing to fight this guy. Yes, he will. He might be fighting him in November, just so you understand. He's already agreed to fight him. I continue to hear people say John's was not willing to fight Sergi. Sergi's the backup fighter, which means John and Stipe are already aware and in agreement that they might fight. Like You have to stop with that. Because it shows that you don't understand what's going on. Okay, great. But let's take a good look at that. Is that what you want? It's a, it's a really interesting question. John Jones is not afraid to hold up a division. Like, that's not even a question. And I'm not positive that John has ever punched a heavyweight. But people are more than happy to say that Sergi's time to shine can't shine when John's still there. Like, what difference does it make? What difference does it make if he's done less than one round in a division ever... Or if we just start doing that to the 205-pounders. Because you're doing hypotheticals anyway. You're saying, well, hypothetically, John, if he if he was active and was busy and did get in there and did actually like doing this, would run through all of them. But that would be true at 205 as well, except you've actually seen it at 205. Not to mention they don't have a champion. So what difference does it make? Well, he's not a 205-pounder anymore. Well, do you think he can make 205? I mean, he's, he's not really a heavyweight either. It's, it's a very interesting question, and this is a guy, because it also gets you philosophical, well, what does retirement mean? Like they're saying, that, well, he's going to retire after the fight. Well, what does retirement mean? Retirement comes with a couple of activations in John's spot that wouldn't be in other places because he is the champion. If he retires as champion, for example, it'll come with that. It'll become with relinquishing the belt. It could come with the removal of the Usada pool, and it means that you won't fight again until you agree to fight again. Well, that's the same spot you're in anyway. Like, it's just a word. I mean, when the commission suspends him, what, what is the difference there with being retired? What difference does it make? You're not going to do the sport, but it's not your choice? Okay, great. This commission didn't suspend him. It's now his choice. He didn't fight for three years. Like, what difference does it make? And I'm sharing that from a perspective, and that's not to give John a hard time. Like, this is just a reality. John hasn't done anything new to the heavyweights that he'd do to 205 batters. John hasn't done anything new to anybody. Just a reality, he's not afraid to hold up a division. So now you have Sergey Pavlich, who has clearly demonstrated he doesn't have any interest in moving a division along. I don't suggest for you that Sergey's going to get suspended or that he's going to refuse to do fights, but he's sitting there passively waiting for somebody to call him and offer him to go into a fight. Like, I mean, it's a, it's a very bizarre thing. Is that is that what you want? It's what you got now. Are you happy with it? Like, are, are you a heavyweight fan? I just can't wait for heavyweights. Because if so, you've been left out in the cold for a really long time. Your last champion sat out on a contract dispute for all, over a year before they got on with it. Your current champion is going to be pressing that same time frame. Right? Like it, it, It's a tough spot. Is that what you want at heavyweight? Is that what you want? I don't know. I'm not telling you that you're wrong for it. 
But if you're talking about that Sergey's going to be the most dominant guy once John goes, I'm not sure John's ever punched a heavyweight. Sergey's gotten rid of the last six inside of five minutes. How about this? Instead of finding out who the best heavyweight is, can we find out who the most willing heavyweight is? Who wants this the most? I mean, th that would be a very interesting point as well. And that's where I would have to put a sh uh, shine a spotlight right back on Tom Aspinall who flew to a different country after laying out a plan, trying to pick a fight that he thought would get him close. It's one of these interesting things. Where are the other heavyweights? And the very heavyweight that Tom did that to says, I'm not interested. I mean, I don't know if any of them are interested in doing anything. I trust that they want to fight. I trust they want to be champions. I, I, I don't trust like there's this big conspiracy here. I'm just sharing with you. Wouldn't it be refreshing if? Wouldn't it be refreshing if we had a heavyweight who wanted to compete who want to compete with the top guys, who wanted to compete with the top guys on a reasonably normal schedule, which is a lazy man's schedule where you're asked to go to work three times a year. Wouldn't that be nice? It used to be expected and it used to be the norm, and now it's something that isn't even discussed, so I'm here to bring it to you. What would you like the most at heavyweight out of attitude-wise? Your champion. Ranking committee, how do they go together? Well, if somebody is ranked in a position to fight somebody lower ranked and DraftKings puts odds on them to fight and the lower ranked guy is favored to beat the higher ranked guy, I think you have a problem. I've always thought that that is a little bit of a problem. I, I've really not known why the UFC has given power for rankings to anybody other than odds makers. I haven't known that. If you got somebody that's actually willing to part with their money and there is a line from DraftKings, DraftKings should have them listed one through 10. Who's negative this? Who's negative this? Who's positive here? That is your ranking, period. There would be no greater focus group and there would be nobody that would be more serious than the person parting with their money. So I sat down to prove this point today. I sat down to prove this point because Gamrot is ranked number seven Taking on Fitzayev, who is number six. Obviously, Gamrod is going to be a massive favorite over Fitzayev. So I'm going to prove my point. I've got my thesis. I've done my research, and I'm going to cite my source. Wrong. I got it wrong. Fitzayev's the favorite. Does that surprise you guys? I could not believe this. I refreshed the page. I refreshed the page, and my crew can tell you this happened. I refreshed the page. I then went to another page. I just thought it was wrong. Now, they're very close. You're talking about minus 145 to plus 125, but it's still minus 145 for Fitz He is the favorite. Now, when you put a straggler versus a grappler, if there's anything we figured out since 1993, bet on the grappler. So you start to look into, well, how did they come to this conclusion? Fitz is a stud, by the way. Fitz I love watching Fitz Total stud. I've never forgiven him for beating Bobby Green and then calling out Hasbullah. Like, I, I haven't totally forgiven him for that. But everything else he does, right? He's made a fan out of me. I like his look. I like his skills. I like his willingness. I like that he's now a main event guy. I like that he lost a main event against Justin Gaethje and his return to a main event. Like, there's things about this guy, right? I could give Fitzayev a ton of compliments. I just couldn't quite give him as many as I gave Gamrot. I want to disclose that. So when I saw Fitzayev... On the graphic, flashes up on TV as John Anik is introducing this match is going to come. 
rank number six. Again, talking Fitzayev here. And then I see Gamrot rank number seven. I think, wow, Gamrot is going to be a heavy favorite, and we're going to have a discrepancy between the odds makers and the rankings room. This will be an interesting conversation. Now, I sit down to tell you this, because how do we get to that conclusion? How do they possibly conclude? If you guys disagree with me, please let me know. How do you possibly conclude that Fitzai would be the favorite over Gamrot? I got an answer. That it is largely done statistically through an algorithm that is proprietary. And the algorithm took into consideration how many takedowns Gamrot got in the average 15 minutes and how many takedowns Fitzayev was able to defend in the average 15 minutes. Gamrot had four takedowns and Fitzayev had five takedown defenses. Now, the reason I bring this to you, that's an interesting detail to know, particularly when you go one step further in the research, which is what I have done, and realize Fitzayev has never fought a wrestler. Like, I don't know what it matters how many times you've been taken down. You remember when they did this with Surreal Gone? Surreal Gone had 15 fights and a championship of the world when he's walking out to face Derek Lewis. And Surreal had never been on the ground, not for one second. And that's how they worded it. That was a very cool marketing way to word it. The message they're telling you is he's never been taken down. That's, a, that's amazing. And tell you, look and see, he's never fought a single wrestler. Not one. I don't say that to give Surreal a hard time. I share that with you that sometimes when you're looking at statistics, it does require further research. And Gamrod is not just a wrestler, by the way. I mean, he was the top wrestler in his country. And it wasn't just wrestling, by the way. It was freestyle wrestling. Gamrod is very, very good. Does that translate over to MMA? I mean, Gamrod's one of these guys, he won't just take you down. He'll take you down for 25 straight minutes. I just think it's a really bad matchup for Fitzayev. And I think that it's a matchup, at least if you're looking by the numbers, the only number in Fitzayev's favor is the ranking, which is at number seven. I apologize, at number six, and he's taking on number seven. Like, it seems like a very meaningful match. It seems like the right match to make. Oh, and by the way, by the way, if I have this wrong, the odds makers have it right. We're together going to owe an apology to the rankings room. I have never been overly nice to the rankings room. But then again, who am I insulting? Who am I insulting? Is, is it men, women, children? Is it a collective group? Is it a, is it a computer program? Like, we, we, I know nothing about it. It could be one of my very good friends that I speak to eight days. Like, for whatever reason, they're hiding under the dark of a mess. So I'm not, I'm not attempting to insult somebody. And this will be a very interesting match. I mean, not for nothing, but in, in that regard, it is very compelling. If you're betting on Fitzayev, then you're betting that Fitzayev who's never fought a wrestler, can stop a wrestler from taking him down. You're betting on Fitzayev as good as his takedown defense is. It was far from perfect. He has been taken down a lot. And when you understand he's getting taken down a lot and he's never faced a wrestler, all of a sudden you start to skew over and go, hey, wait just a second. They made a mistake. And it's not like that would be the first time. They used to. The odds makers used to have something. Will it go over three rounds or under three rounds? Will it be less than three rounds or over three rounds? You could bet that. And the mistake that they would make all the time, you just had to look for it, all the time they would make a mistake to put that prop bet out on a match that was scheduled for three rounds. And they usually made this error when the guy was a former champion, like he had just lost his belt. It was Tim Sylvia specifically, lost his belt, he comes back for his next fight. It's not a title fight, so it's scheduled for three rounds. 
But they took odds. Will it be three or less, or will it be three or more? But they make those mistakes all the time. I just bring that to you, something to look for, right? I mean, I'm just having fun. If, if, if you're scouring these sites, you can't figure out where to make your move, go study it. I guarantee there's a mistake somewhere. As a matter of fact, I think that I found one. And it wasn't a mistake by the numbers. It would require one further step of research. And so much in MMA does. You see all these guys that are going down for banned substances? And they go, I didn't take that. That's not on the list. This is what I took. You go, okay, that, that's true. But if you do one further step of research, you'll see the active ingredient in that is this, which is banned, right? Like, uh, it's very hard to just take things on face value. And if, in fact, the data that I've got is correct, which is the reason the algorithm has picked Fitzayev over Gamrot is because of the wrestling. I'm bringing you a very helpful clue to let you know that algorithm didn't factor into account that Fitzayev has never taken on a wrestler. And I think I want to get off right there because I'm kind of getting a feel inside like I'm giving Fitzayev a hard time. I sure don't mean to. I really like this guy. I really, I like how he's built. I like that he's active. Right? I like that he has something to say. The fact that it was, he wasted his time calling out Hasbullah. I mean, the, the fact that he was going after a market of, I didn't like it. But he still tried, right? I mean, in the last five years, I could probably remember five callouts or less, and I remember his. So there was something there. I don't know that I can abolish a guy just for that. But as far as picking him to defend takedowns against the best wrestler he's ever faced by far, I can't do that either. Alright guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And remember, if you want even more Uncle Chael in your life, you can head over to my YouTube channel, which if I could just say is the best channel in all of MMA. Enjoy the fights this weekend, and then come back next Tuesday for more from me. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited-edition, ultra-low net-carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.